I'm Alex Green. Welcome to Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Oh, don't wag your finger. That's the music of Inara George, who is my guest today on the show. Let me tell you a little bit about Inara George. Uh, She is uh, a singer-songwriter who was born in Los Angeles. She is the daughter of Lowell George, who was the singer of Little Feet. Uh, Unfortunately, Lowell George, uh, who was massively talented, and uh, if you haven't had a chance to check out those Little Feet records, I would recommend that you do. Um, But unfortunately, Lowell George uh, passed away when... His daughter, Inara, was five. Uh, As a matter of fact, if you're a fan of Jackson Brown and you've heard that song of his called Of Missing Persons, he wrote that for Inara George after her father died. Uh, So she was born in L.A. She was a natural performer. She uh, got into Shakespeare and theater really early on. And as a matter of fact, she was trained in classical theater in Boston. But in spite of her love of theater, music was always coursing through Anara's DNA, and she found herself in a number of bands. She began a band called Merrick, and also she was in an outfit called Load. And Load were actually signed to Geffen Records, and they put a record out in 96. But Anara was perhaps best known for being one half of the indie pop duo The Bird and the Bee. She's also in a band called The Living Sisters with Eleni Mandel and Becky Stark. And her solo career began in 2006 with the fabulous debut album, All Rise. From there, she did 2008's In Invitation with Van Dyke Parks, 2009, Accidental Experiment, and then she waited nine years to put out her newest album, Dearest Everybody. Why was Anara George absent for nine years? Well, because she's somebody's mom. That's why. She has three kids and, uh, and a husband, and she's busy which makes her return to her solo career all the more special. Uh, It's hard to believe that it's been 10 years since her last album, but it has. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this new record, because it's really something else. It is, like I said, called Dearest Everybody, and that is sort of a title which comes across almost like the beginning of a letter, right? Like a Dear Somebody letter, and that's no accident. Uh, Inara decided that what she was going to do is for the occasions that popped up in her friends' lives, the fortunate ones like weddings and birthdays and the unfortunate ones like losses and tragedies, um, she decided to write musical letters 
to her friends. So every song on this album is a sonic gift to the people in her life that have gone through um, both happy moments and sad. That being said, uh, this is a terrific song cycle about happiness, sadness, beauty, and loss. I talked to Inara from her home in New York, and we covered a lot of subjects. We talked about uh, how hard it is to make friends when you get a little bit older. We talked about the uh, youthful exuberance of creativity, and we talked about Weird Al. That's right, Weird Al. The Weird Al you're thinking of, because there is really only one. If there were two, I think that'd be too much. I'll tell you one thing I can never get too much of, and that is the music of Anara George. Buy her album. You'll see what I mean. But buy her album after you listen to our conversation. This is me and Anara George having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. It's been, I guess it's been about eight or almost nine years since I put out my last solo record. And, um, you know, having three small kids doesn't really give me much time. And I, and I did, I have been still working with, um, the Bird and the Bee and the Living Sisters, and I've put stuff out since since I've had kids, but I hadn't done a solo record. And I think finding time to write music for myself, I think, you know, especially once you become a mom, but I think in general, most people put themselves last. Um, and so so the, the idea of the songs, it wasn't really for an album. It was more just like gifts. I... I, I um, I've, I've been asked to sing at a lot of weddings, and so instead of just singing a cover, I tend to write a song specifically for that couple. And then um, having friends go through hard times or tragedies, I found that instead of writing them a note or or whatever it is that you feel like when you have to when you want to you want to give some sort of uh, condolence, I found that writing. Um, that writing a song was kind of a little more meaningful for me and sometimes for them too. So that's kind of where it started from. And then after a while of doing this process of giving gifts a song, I kind of realized I had a collection of, of a, for a whole record. So the common denominator really on this album is friendship. I think so. I think it's like, it's, you know, it's like you're younger, you write about, um, you write about love, romantic love, a lot. <laughs> and I think as I get older, romantic love is just not as much of a part of the equation of my life. It's more about friendship and 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 romantic love that's, that's a different form and also children and parents. And so it's like love taking on different forms, I suppose. There's also a real shift, I think, for an artist when... You know, a young artist, I think, really writes a lot about themselves. And I think that when you get older, I think there's a shift from the internal to the external. Yeah, I think you kind of get sick of yourself, you know. <laughs> I mean, I did feel that way, like, before having kids. I just felt like, I don't want to think about myself anymore. And I think that that's natural, just aging. You know, you start to stop worrying about, I mean, I think that, when you're younger, you're so concerned about how other people perceive you. And as you get older, you don't really care as much. And I think it gives you more of a chance and a more sort of you're at, at liberty to, to explore people around you rather than exploring inside. 
But I think the internal stuff is necessary. It's just at some point you're like, I can't think about myself anymore. <laughs> do you do you find that freeing as an artist? Yeah, I mean, I find it freeing as an artist to not worry about what other people think of me. Um, that's amazing. Because, you know, you're, I don't know, I've always just like, am I cool? Am I on the coolest, you know, like, you know, list of new musicians or whatever the thing is. And I just don't care about that anymore at all. I just, I think mostly it's just how do you get the music out and what's the best way? And, and also just making stuff that feels good to make. I mean, I'm lucky enough to be a musician and get to make records. That's um, not a lot of people have that, that opportunity so um, I guess now everybody can make their own records, which is great. Um, but so I feel lucky that I get to just make something and I try to be as authentic to myself as possible. Is that something that, that age, it's sort of hard fought and won just by getting older? Because that's a hard thing to explain to somebody who's 22 and has a guitar in their hand and is thinking a lot about romantic love, right? Because that's a very loud voice. Um, in your head when you're that age. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is, is that yeah. something that, that can't be communicated in a way that would someone understand un, until they get older? Or do you think somebody who's young can, can get that faster? I don't know. I mean, I think that younger people have, have so much more of an advantage in, in this, in this culture, in our world, you know, and not to say that, that, that being young and, I mean, it's exciting and you have a lot to say and, and, um, and you have the benefit of youth, but it's not, um, but I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if you can actually do that. Like, I don't know. I don't think that you can express to someone that age what it feels like to be, to be 20 years older and and not that to say that you can't, you can't have empathy or not empathy. That's the wrong word because aging is an incredible process and and I enjoy it, but I, but I feel like that's the beauty of youth is that you can't understand. That's why you do crazy things. That's why you kind of, that's why you chat, you, you kind of are, you do things that you probably wouldn't do as you got older. And if you knew better, I mean, right. It's like hindsight, if hindsight was 2020, I think that that's, that's why you're young. That's why it's, um, and that's why, you know, like in a song, I, 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 that's why I don't think youth is wasted on the young, because if you knew what, if I know, if I knew now what I knew, if I know, what is the phrase? (laughs) (laughs) If I knew then what I know now, I don't think that I would have had as much fun. You know, I think that I would have been too concerned about like the realities of the world. And I think that that's what's so magical about being young. And then, and what's so magical about being older is like having, having the wisdom. So I think one, one shouldn't want a younger person to know what an older person has experienced because that's the, that's living, I guess. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why in Say Anything, the John Cusack character who's holding the boombox outside the girl's window, you know, he's not 49. <laughs> You know, it's like there's a reason why he's not in his 50s doing that. Um, There's something about being 
19 and, and, and that sort of manic, um, those manic feelings that you have can only be, um, you know, I want to say externalized or can only be carried out through doing those kinds of things. And those are, might be the stupid things that we did when we were younger, but we sure meant them. Well, yeah, and you, it's, you have that feeling like that everything is happening now and has to be addressed at that moment. And sometimes you, you don't have the, t- like the moment to take a breath and say, think about like, oh, well, if I do this, maybe this person will do this or that. It's like you just have to grab things. And that's what's, I mean, that's what's, when you see younger people, it's like, I could cry. It's so, it's so beautiful and sweet and romantic. It's so urgent. Uh, you know, it's so funny when you're young yeah. and you're 20, you think like, I have to race to their house and tell them the thing or whatever. And it's so urgent and there's so much time. But yet when we're older, because you and I are around the same age, uh, it feels like the urgency should be felt now because right? we've, lived, we've lived so long. But yet when you're 20, you yeah. feel that kind of like time is running out. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I think we have a different urgency. But I'm sure it's funny. I think about this, like talking about like here I am in my forties talking about when I'm in my twenties and I'm sure somebody in their sixties is like, listen, sister, you know, <laughs> and so it's like, I don't want to like take away that. I, I, I definitely feel, yeah, I feel youthful. I'm definitely like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm in, trying to enjoy who I am at the moment. And then, um, and I think, you know, it's like, I don't want to, to, I, don't, I wouldn't want anyone to think that I'm not appreciating that that 43 is still very young, but it is a different mindset, and it's and it's like a process to to like embrace that, like that I am a middle-aged person, which is sometimes a hard thing to wrap my head around. <laughs> well. I mean, it's funny because I, I, you know, I'm in my in my you know mid to late forties, and I the other night I, I hurt myself reaching into my washing machine, and I thought, oh, good God, <laughs> this is, yeah. that's a real <laughs> that's really embarrassing. My husband had this. My husband said that his favorite um, New Year's resolution was, I can't remember who said it, but that um, I have to stop making old man noises when I when I stand up. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I can totally relate to that. Oh, oh my yeah, God. yeah. You stand up and you kind of go, eh. Uh, but, yeah. but the good side of it, though, <laughs> is that I think there's a kind of economy, you know, that happens. I mean, I'm a writer and I find that when I write, I'm more economical in the sense that I, I don't – I feel I can get to the things that I want to get to faster um, than when I was younger. When I was younger, I'd write, you know, 30-page poems that really could have been boiled down to four lines. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you do you find that in in terms of songwriting, in terms of your discipline, do you find there's an economy that has um, that is being employed that you couldn't have employed when you were twenty? I think that, and I don't think this is the way for everyone, but I think for me, in terms of songwriting, it took me a long time to to understand that, like the the shortest distance between two places is a straight line. You know that 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 I would try to sort of get to a point in a way that wasn't, I mean, and I think that there's, there's something good to that, that I would try to take the sort of the more kind of left field uh, direction in terms of the songwriting. And maybe it's more enigmatic 
I wasn't really, a lot of times people had no idea what I was talking about. And, and, um, and I think that as I've gotten older, I've realized like, that music for me now, it's more about expressing an idea. And so I should try to be as economical as I can with expressing that idea. So you're right. It's like, I don't have to use that word or go to that chord or, you know, like, like get trick, get too tricky, you know? I mean, I do sometimes still like to do that, but there's something um, like sort of a relief, like, oh, I just could write a simple song. And, and it's, and it's more in some ways more powerful because you're talking to more people. Right. And you, and you also might recognize your own, like, for example, I was writing the other night and I thought, oh, you're doing that lazy thing that you do. That's easy for you to do, but it's not very good. And so I sort of stopped myself from my <laughs> tracks. Right. And went, okay, don't do that anymore. But whereas when I was, when I was younger, I would have, I would have pulled that thread as far as it would have gone. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or I find with writing music, like writing a song specifically that sometimes you're in the middle of writing a song and you're like, Oh, this is the worst, but I'm just going to finish it and get it out of the way. Whereas when I was younger, it was like, I would sort of wring my hands about it and try to get this or that or fix it or make it something that it wasn't. Or, and sometimes it's like, for me, I'm not going to sit down. I'm going to write a song. I'm not going to worry about if, you know, it sounds like a song I wrote before or if I, you know, if it's, if it's, I wanted to write a song, you know, in a four, four tempo and it ends up being in like a waltz tempo or something. I'm just, I'm going to just write what's coming out and not question myself a million times. Just do what I do. And, and may, it might be sometimes lazy, but that you can kind of do it and then brush it aside and you're like, okay, that's the song I won't use, which is totally fine. <laughs> I was uh, I was talking to Louise Gothin a few weeks ago, and she said that she'll sometimes challenge herself to, uh, okay, today you're going to write this kind of a song, or um, you know, challenge herself to kind of execute in a certain kind of way. Do you do that, or do you just sort of let it come? Well, I think that that was the the sort of the idea with the record was, if I didn't give myself assignments, then I just wouldn't write. So. So to me, it was like I was writing. It was a gift. It was. It was almost like I had to get it in at a certain time as a gift. So that was kind of. I mean, and, and essentially, almost all these songs, aside from a couple, were songs that I wrote for someone, um, and kind of had given myself an assignment to write a song for them. So, um, so yeah, I feel like I do that all the time. <laughs> it's a necessity now, you know, like it's a necessity to kind of give myself um, some time limits because otherwise I can always do something. I can always think of something else to do that I need to do, I guess. There's also what's really interesting to me is I remember when I was when I was in college, um, the girl I was dating read a poem I'd, I'd written and she said to me, I like I like you better as a poet than as a person. And yeah. I know it was, it was not a, not a really great moment for me, but I, all these years later, I, I do sort of know what she means in the sense that I think that I'm wiser when I'm writing than when I'm living my life. It's, uh, there's a really great moment in uh, dirty, pretty things. That movie came out years ago about the black market organ. I don't know if you remember that movie, but 
Um, there's I didn't a great. See it. Oh, it's so great. There's a great moment where the, the mortician is playing chess with this guy, and he says to him, "Good at chess, bad at life." And I, <laughs> there's, there's something to be said about the idea that in in your art, um, there's an elegance and there's a um, a way of expressing yourself that you can't do maybe as well in other mediums. And so I think like, you know, you have friends who have incalculable losses or amazing triumphs, whether it's a wedding or a loss of a child, and you have this amazing gift to be able to express that sentiment that you're feeling about their experience in a song. I'm I'm not suggesting you couldn't do it in other mediums. I'm just saying you have this amazing uh, ability to turn. Well, thank you. Right. So did you feel that had you, had you decided to write them a letter instead of a song? Um, don't you think that, that the song is the, um, the fact that it is the gift itself is incredible, but also do you feel that you are better in terms of communication in that medium or do oh, you? Absolutely. I can't write. I mean, I've tried to write. It's funny because I think there's a new, it's like there's a new day where there's so many publications that I think that they ask people to write things now instead of like interviews and stuff. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've been asked to write a couple things and I've done them, but I'm, but I, I'm, I'm so insecure about it. I'm not a, a good writer. I have terrible grammar and I and I do feel like, to me, an emotion, the the benefit of a song, even over a poem, is that there's an emotion in melody um, and the music. So so you have this extra benefit of having a word that might mean something different if you just read it, but if you add a melody to it, it can change it can change the feeling of the word. So you have this option of of playing with meanings you know so it's like you you're there's a lot of different levels that you can play with the word so a word can mean a lot of things and you know it's like I like I like to I like my I like to be more concise because if I do write something it's like it's all over the place I don't know what I'm talking about it's here and there it's like I don't know how to fill up all that space with so many words whereas I feel like I can choose one word and one melody and it can express how I'm feeling, which is, um, I guess lucky for me that (laughs) that just, it's just an easier way for me to express things, I guess. And also the melody, so the, the melody can augment a phrase or a sentiment or a word, and it can give it a power that it wouldn't just have on the page. Yes. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, it's like, the p- poems aren't songs. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I mean, it's just a different, it's different. It's a, songs aren't always meant to be read. You know, they're meant to be sung. I mean, I was, I was sort of equated to Shakespeare. Shakespeare is not supposed to be read. It's supposed to be acted. Right. And and it's supposed to be sung. I think, I mean, that's sort of where there's such a melody to, to that writing and the words are, are meaningful, not only with the way that they, what they mean, but also the way that they're supposed to be spoken. And I think it's a similar thing to a song is that it, it's, um, it can change the way the song, cause you could say something really like my other band, the bird and the bee, we always would play with that. Like the sound 
of the song is juxtaposing what the actual lyrics are saying. So it kind of gives it this sort of, um, I don't know, it's like a, it's a little bit of a wink and a nod or depending on what you want, it can be like, um, more sarcastic or it. So it's, I mean, that's the fun part of music, I think. was the daughter of my father I was the color of a half-lit moon Riding down sunset Making records at night There's a calling in my gut And I have to just follow it I was a girl in New York City Collecting stories like I'm saving money Just hang it on the wall We didn't carry it all Cause caring meant that we weren't Invincible Where is the line between all this joy And all this sorrow do you know that helps you get from here to there to tomorrow? What do I know? What do I know? I know that I want to see where this thing will go. Resurrect that biggest feeling Like getting hit with something strong and hot With our wine-stained teeth And some dirty little habits I would never change a thing Just the way I got out of it Where is the line between all this joy all this sorrow Who do you know That helps you get from here To there to tomorrow What do I know What do I know I know that I want to see Where this thing will go find that it's harder 
as we get older to make friends? Do you feel because a lot of the friends that you've had and you, you grew up with, you um, you know, and and I'm the same way. Yeah. Uh, is it harder? Do you think to not maybe not to make friends, but to have friendships that are maybe emotional or meaningful or as deep as the ones that you formed early on in your life? Yeah, I think it's harder. I mean, I think that what I I do think is that when you do make friends as an older person, um, there's, if, if you are drawn to someone, it's for a really particular reason. Like it, so in some ways those bonds can be even deeper, um, not deeper than, I mean, just different, but, but I, I do think that you can make really strong bonds with people as you get older, but, but you definitely have to, to be more particular because there's not enough time. But I mean, I, I have so many connections with new people and the wish and hope that we could be really close. But I think that when you're younger and you meet someone and you fall in love with them, friends fall in love kind of feeling, you have this opportunity to spend this, like, um, you know, an insane amount of time with a person that you just don't get to do that anymore. You know, like spending hours of hours and hours a day for weeks on end with one person who isn't your husband or <laughs> your boyfriend or your girlfriend it is just not, it's just not possible. So, um, so when you think about old friends, you just, there's this connection where you're like, Oh yeah, we, we had a relationship. We were together. And so there's always that, except you don't break up with them, you know, unless you do, but <laughs> right. most of my old friends I'm still very close with. So, um, so you have that thing that's like, it's like a sensory of memory and smells and I don't know, and moments. And, and, uh, so yeah, it's different, but, but I, I, I do have a, a few friends that I've made in the last 10 years that are, are very special to me. So just different, I guess. And it, and part of it is just, you know, simply circumstantial and you have so much time when you're younger I mean, you don't have kids, you don't have a husband, you don't write, and you have time. Uh, the time right now is, is, uh, harder to find. It's harder to find the sort of, you know, weeks at a time where you can listen to records and go see shows and talk about life and stay up late. Um, so those are those yeah, connections yeah. that you make with people are very deep because you are you're right they're very immersive and and you don't you can't do that anymore as as an older person. No, I I mean I think it would be just wouldn't work. <laughs> I barely right. have enough time for for anything. So yeah, and you've got you've got three little characters who <laughs> who are quite like you know who, who yeah. need your attention. I mean, right? I guess so, that's. Those are the deeper relationships that you make as you get older. If you have kids, you know, um, I mean, that's, those are the, those are the people that I know the best right now are my children. I'm very familiar with all of their fears and hopes and desires and food choices. <laughs> are they aware of your music? Has, has that happened? Yes, they are aware of it. Um, they're, it's funny. They're, they're funny about it. Um, they do like me to sing to them at night, which 
my eldest son for a while was like, don't sing. But now he, he likes me to sing to him at night. And I think that they're proud of me in, in, in certain moments. And then other moments, I remember I was listening to something like for a mix in the car with my kids. And um, my eldest son was like, Mom, why are you listening to yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're right. It's creepy. But um, but so I, they're not like interested in listening to my music that I've written. I think they're, they like to come to shows and they like to be a part of it. But it's not like they're my biggest fans by, by a long shot. They prefer Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah. <laughs> what 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 challenge i did not expect you to say that um what it's true what, <laughs> well, he's adorable he's adorable weird al he is adorable he is he is he is my husband loved him when he was a kid too so i i, I think we all Great did tradition. um i mean what, he, you know just eat it come on i know i know i still <laughs> I still sometimes find myself singing like a surgeon and I go, why am I thinking about that song? Um, <laughs> Their favorite is Yoda. Is Lola, you know? Yes. Yeah. He's kind of a genius. He made it look easy, but it, what he does is not easy. No, and he just kept it up for all these years. It's incredible. Yeah, I keep waiting for him to make like a, a heartfelt acoustic record of original songs. I don't see it coming. No, I don't either. But don't maybe, maybe he's been making them all along and they'll release it when he dies or something. <laughs> be that would be something. Um, what what I challenges? Would, I would buy that record. I I would buy that record too. I really want to, I'd like to hear that. <laughs> what, um, I would, I want to hear what's in his heart. I'm sorry, keep going. Well, no, but that's the funny thing about Weird Al is that, is that we don't really know anything about his heart, do we? I mean, he seems like he has a lovely heart, and I, I would be curious to know what his, you know, but I think that that's his job is, is to, to sort of keep away any of the, the darkness that might be lurking inside of him because he's done such a service for us for so long. Like, that, that's his job, you know, like he's the, he's the, um, oh God, what's that? I can't, my brain doesn't work anymore. Um, you know, like in the court, he's a court jester. Right. He's like our cultural court jester. <laughs> I think if he if he did put a record out of heartfelt acoustic ballads, it would be under the name "Not as Weird as You Thought," Al. And he... <laughs> <laughs> I know. Just like everybody else. Yes, I'm just like everybody else, Al. Um, for you as an artist, what what challenges do you? Um, do you present yourself with? In other words, when you create, what what kind of, of demands do you put on yourself? Um, or do you, or do you try not to do that? Um, in terms of writing, is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like when you're or, creating. Yeah. Um, well, I guess in creating like writing, I don't know. Uh, I just try not to do anything that's too, that's not, that's not bad. (laughs) (laughs) And then recording, I think, I think recording, I get more particular. I mean, the writing, I've sort of felt like I've, with my solo stuff specifically, like, and this record specifically, I, 
I just was like, this is it. This is what I wrote. And, and I would switch some words around occasionally, but I was just kind of just trying to let it be what it was like that. This is what came out of my head. And, you know, I don't want it to be bad, but I, but I wasn't worried about like a hook or whatever, you know, I was just worried about writing a song that felt authentic and honest and, 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 and was also a gift to a friend, you know, like something that, that was meaningful to them and to me. And, and then, and then in the recording process, I think I get more particular about the way it sounds and the way it should be represented and, you know, the people that you work with and, you know, who inspires you and make sure my vocals are in tune and all that sort of stuff. I think I get more, um, that becomes more of where, where I spend more time being kind of nitpicky, I guess. Are you? But I try not to be too nitpicky. I'm not going to spend months and months on a song. That, that sounds like torture. <laughs> did you used to do that? No, I, I don't think I ever did that. I've, I've made a promise to myself that this whole music thing has to continue to be fun. And I just, I don't, I don't see, I mean, it's funny though. You like, you hear these stories about um, Bruce Springsteen and, and, you know, Born to Run, they spent like, I don't know, like three months on that one song. Yeah. And I just, I I watched that documentary. I wanted to kill myself, but then you're like, but it worked. I mean, that was his process and that seems to work for him. And so I, like you have to hand it to him. I mean, that's not the way I would want to do stuff, but then you think like, well, maybe if I did do that, I would, have you know i'd be bruce springsteen <laughs> <laughs> um but there's this really good podcast um malcolm gladwell does about like how different people find their muse and that like a leonard cohen takes ages to find the right word you know rewriting songs adding verses it, you know it's like a hallelujah took forever and then you have bob dylan and it just flows out of him like instantaneously and one is not better than the other. It's just, it is what it is. It's like you have your muse, you know? So, and my muse definitely is not spending three months recording a song, but good on you, Bruce Springsteen, for doing that. Yeah. I saw that documentary too, and I thought, how is he not killing it? But he but he, he wasn't. He was breathing new life into it. Uh, but I thought the same thing I as know. you. I was, it was really amazing. Because on paper that should have destroyed it, right? You should. I you would think like I visited yeah. a friend of mine in the studio years ago, and she was uh, cutting a song, and she cut the same song, you know, for an hour and a half. And by by the twentieth minute, I I was looking for something sharp. I, I was like, I can't take this anymore, and I couldn't listen to the song when the album came out because it had kind of killed it for me. Um, but yeah. but then again, you know, but the, for an artist that who wants to get it right in that way, that is their process. Yeah. Yeah. Technology has changed that process too. I don't think Bruce Springsteen would have to do that again because you can fix things, you know? Um, I think it's just, a, it depends on how you like to capture a moment. And sometimes, I don't know. I mean, things have changed a lot. Expectation of what, how things are supposed to sound. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's recording can be really weird. It's like it's so navel navel gazing and sort of smelling your own uh, 
if you excuse the expression, smell your own farts, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's a little bit, it can get a little funky, you know? Yeah. And it's sort of like in many ways now that you almost have too much control over it. So it almost would sort of lend itself to you obsessing in a way that maybe you wouldn't have obsessed 30 or 40 years ago because you couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, precision, precision is so, is such a, it, it's, it's so, it's such an expected thing from an audience. I mean, the thing is like singers can sing so much better now because they've heard singers be tuned. I mean, it's kind of a weird thing. Like there's, I've, I've talked about this with my musician friends, that there's, there's actually something that has changed in the way that people sing because they've been listening to music that has been like artificially tuned. So, I mean, it's sort of like, it's like raising the bar, you know, it's that, that you have, you know, like the gymnastic team of 1980 couldn't do certain things. And now this team can, you know, and does, does like artistry sort of get lost in that process of raising this bar sort of to this like, technical excellency, you know, I don't know. But I mean, it's, it's interesting, like as a culture, we, we do kind of keep raising the bar in sort of physical performance and other things where, where it, you know, like we are almost like evolving to, to reach the next bar. But I get what you're saying. Cause, but the question is, but are we getting better? Because like, you know, like, like Robert Johnson, I don't know. Right. Like look at Robert Johnson or look yeah. at something like I don't know if the story of Michelle Schacht's, uh Texas Campfire tapes is apocryphal or not. But, you know, someone, you know, flipped on a tape recorder while she was singing those songs or Patty Griffin's Living with Ghosts, where those are just very like lo-fi records where it's like right under the four track or right under the cassette um, or in yeah, Robert yeah, Johnson's yeah. case. Right. Whatever. But I mean, I wonder if those are so lo-fi and they're so um moving and intense and i wonder with this sort of uh like you're talking about if if that intensity is something that can't be captured in this new improved way of doing things i think it can be captured but the question is like would robert johnson if robert johnson put out a record today would anyone care probably not right so i think that's i guess that's the question like you know, you listen to old 60s records and you're like, whoa, those girls are singing off tune. But it's amazing. I mean, it's electrifying. But if someone tried to put that out today, I'm not sure what would happen, you know?
If you heard that 60s record of those girls singing out of tune, to my ear, I wouldn't hear that because I, I don't I don't have that kind of ear. But tell me what makes that performance, though out of tune, so electrifying? Well, a lot of times, I mean, if you hear some of those old records, like let's say Tony Bennett, for example, you know, Tony Bennett goes into the studio, he knows the song, he can read music. There's an orchestra there. They all play at the same time, and Tony Bennett sings at that moment all together. And that's, they capture that, and that's what it is. And, you know, we don't really do that anymore because um, I think that we are wanting precision so much. It's also really expensive. (laughs) Whereas, you know, you you can fuss around. I mean, it's just a different time. So it, I don't know, but, but when you're able to capture something like that and because of necessity, cause you can't, you have to capture everything cause you have so many, only so many tracks, right? So you have to capture the orchestra all at once because, you know, let's say you only have 16 tracks or 24 tracks or whatever that is. And then you have to get the voice at the same time. And it was, a, 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 you know, it's like you weren't dumping tracks onto other things. I mean, there's, there's been so many, um, technical advances in recording that, you know, the sky's the limit. And yet, because we don't have these restrictions, you know, you lose some of that live performance because um, you don't have to do that anymore. 
But I mean, you know, I think, I mean, there's amazing records that are coming out now that would never be able to be exist because it, it, it calls for more technology. And then there's records you could still make today, but it's like, is it worth it? Because would people even care or notice how, what a huge feat it is to, to gather a group of, of an orchestra and have somebody sing live to an orchestra. And, and I know it still happens. It's just, it's going to happen to somebody who can, you know, afford to do that, I guess. So, um, I mean, it's different times, but it's, it's interesting to think about. And I don't know, not to say one is better than the other. It's just that capturing live performances is not um, necessarily what people do these days. I like the idea that something doesn't have to be precise for it to still be electrifying or soul stirring. Yeah. I'm not, I think precision, there's a really good documentary about, um, ballet Ruth, you know, and, uh, and it's all these, it was like this amazing ballet, um, uh, group troupe that, uh, I guess it was in like the early 1900s, I want to say. Um, and they taught and they, and they interview these women, these ballerinas, and they talk about like, they weren't about precision. It was just about emotion. So you see them dancing and, and these older women, these older ballerinas talking about ballerinas today and just how it's more about being perfect. Um, and I think there is something to that, like perfection isn't everything. I, Mike Andrews, my producer, says like when you make a mistake, it, that's what makes people want to listen again. And I think that's true, too. Yeah, if something is sort of choreographed to death, there there's nowhere that the spirit of the thing can live in that in that choreography. I mean, sometimes it can, but but sometimes it can't. Of course it can. Yeah. Yeah. I I know I think the perfection is overrated, absolutely. Um but but um and I I don't think that everything is perfect these days. It's just that there is a certain expectation to have things be perfect. So, and I know I feel that way too. Like I want to sound good. I don't want to sound out of tune. Um, when I sing or play the wrong note on the guitar or whatever, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's more of a, we're having a really philosophical question, uh, conversation about, (laughs) about, about music and life and culture. Let's go back to weird Al. Let's, yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, because because I mean, just to just to sort of leave that subject, because I'm really interested in what you said. But there is something which is really interesting is that when when that record was made in the '60s, the person who was recording it went, "Okay, that's perfect. What we have, what we just did, is perfect. Let's 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 stop yeah. there." Um, and you can hear, even yeah. though you can hear those imperfections, it's still at the time. Um, and it retains it at the time it was perfect and it retains the perfection of that moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I guess, you know, here's the lucky thing about today is that I know when I'm in the studio, it's, it's not, you know, when you're getting a vocal performance, you don't have to make sure every line is in tune. You know, you don't have to sing it over and over again to get it so it's right in tune. Like, if you have a great performance and, like, you sing a really bad note in this one moment, you can just tune it. And you still can capture that great performance. And that is a benefit. But I think that the tuning can get crazy and it can get 
you know, people overuse it, but this idea that everything has to be perfectly in tune. But I feel like if you can use these tools to capture those moments and then you can kind of raise the bar in terms of staying, you know, staying in, staying contemporary in that, okay, well, bunk notes like these don't really, you know, like people aren't used to this. So I'm going to just tune this one up, this one stinky note that I hit, but the rest of the performance is really good. So I think that's a, that's a a, a nice trade-off. But I do think that that thing of like everyone being in the studio and playing through songs, a lot of times people just don't do that anymore because it's really hard to do that. it's we we um we know we don't make people don't make records like that anymore, mostly. I mean, some do, and and I think, but both versions are great. It's just, it's um, yeah. I mean, I think this yeah, it's the expectation of things sounding a certain way. You're you're less apt to take the chance of having everybody be in the same room at the same time because right. the chance for error really increases at that moment. There is, uh, I'm really curious to know how you, um, this record, it, it's so beautiful and you, and it's, it's so painful and so gorgeous and there's a beautiful balance an emotional balance. Um, and I think the sequencing of your album is just perfect. Um, but I wondered how, you know, because there's, there's, there's birth, there's life, there's death, there's loss, there's beauty, um, there's celebration, um, it's all there. And I wondered how did you sequence um, this album? And did you, were you conscious of, um, you know, the subject matter of, of, of each number and, and arranging it in, in a certain way? Um, were you thinking birth, life, death, or, or, or how did you do that? Um, I, I, you know, I actually, um, I did really think about it. Um, which I don't, sometimes with albums, I'm just like, this one's upbeat and this one's downbeat and this one, you know, this one's pretty and this one's whatever it is. And and this one I was really sort of considering um, kind of like if I wanted it to feel like you were sort of going through almost like a cycle of life in a way and or, or someone's life, maybe mine, of of this feeling of like starting out and then kind of ending. and um and going through those different feelings and the highs and lows. And that's kind of how I, I considered sequencing it. Even when I thought maybe, well, this one maybe is, I have two sort of like low, low energy ones next to each other. Is that okay? But I was like, I wanted it to feel like you're moving through something. Um, so I'm, thank you for, for uh, recognizing that. <laughs> All right, so there you go. There's my chat with Anara George. She was lovely, and uh, her new album, Dearest Everybody, is out now, and it is equally lovely. It is truly – I know, the year has just started. I'm going to say these things because I, I tend to make big proclamations like this. Uh, it's one of the year's best. I know. What are we, a couple weeks into the year? I'm already, I'm already making uh, claims like that. Well, when you hear this album, you'll know why I'm saying that, Okay. Uh, go over to uh, inaragorge.com and uh, pick up a copy. Uh, also, she's playing uh, some shows. 
which is you know not a common thing anymore because she's a mom and she's uh, she's kind of hanging with the kids a lot, so she's not out on the road the way she used to be. So uh, if she comes to your town, uh, you should uh, seize the opportunity. A lot of dates coming up in uh, New York, D.C., Pennsylvania, Washington, Oregon, San Francisco, and West Virginia. So go to MenaraGeorge.com. Find out if she's coming to a town near you. And if she's not and she's coming to a town near you that's not that near you, uh, you should uh, get on a plane or get in a car or uh, jump on a train and uh, go check her out because she's awesome. Uh, all right, listen, thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast. Great guests coming up. The head office here at Stereo Embers, the podcast, has just given me the list of, of our, uh, our bookings for the next few weeks, and I'm very excited. All right, Inara George is going to play us out. This is a live version of Genius at the City Winery. Check it out. I think you're going to dig it, and I'll see you next week right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Everybody wants to be a genius you want